listening to the Talk with the Wise podcast, a podcast where I talk with those who have lived more life than myself and ask them to share the wisdom they've gained from their experience. This past summer, I had the wonderful opportunity to be the social media intern for Amanda and her dad, John, at John Brandon Comedy which is how I got to know these fantastic people. And as the intern, one of the biggest projects I worked on was the Vacay with the Comics 2023 event. And it's so cool, I've gotta tell you about it. But I'll let someone who's actually been tell you about it first. Amanda? So people always ask whether it's fun to have friends who are comedians, whether it's fun to be raised by a comedian. And I always say, yeah, I think it was, but there's really no way to describe it except to just come and see for yourself. And so we created this opportunity for super fans of comedy to spend an entire weekend enjoying live shows and lunch, dinner, breakfast, snacks, and game nights with the actual comedians hanging out and talking to them directly and their families too. They brought their wives and their kids. Comedians Bob Smiley, Darren Streblo, Kristen Weber, David Pendleton, and of course, John Branion will be there. And it truly is the ultimate backstage pass. It's July 28th through the 30th of 2023 in Cedar Lake, Indiana. Tickets and more information are available at johnbranion.com. That's John, B-R-A-N-Y-A-N.com. This was such a good conversation that we had to split it into two parts. You're listening to part one, so please enjoy and stay tuned for part two. Welcome to the Talk with the Wise podcast. I'm your host, Ellie Andel, and I have with me today Amanda McKinney. Uh, She is a host of multiple podcasts, and yes, more than just one. She uh, hosts with her sisters the Just Because I Love You podcast about family, parenting, education, and doing all that to the glory of God. But she also co-hosts a podcast with her father, comedian John Branion, called The Comedian Next Door. You also help manage John Branion Comedy and you're a culture critic and blogger. I don't there's not much that Amanda McKinney doesn't do. And so she has <laughs> a lot of wisdom to give to us today. Thank you so much for being here, Amanda. Thank you for inviting me. Even <laughs> despite already knowing my tendency to forget appointments, lose links and uh, get distracted and interrupted by children in the middle of conversation. You're very brave. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, Amanda is a mama for homeschooler yet again I just feel like every time I I list qualifications I'm listing superpowers here (laughs) (laughs) yes thank you so much for uh for coming on I know life can get crazy as a homeschool mom and you know manager of all the stuff that you do but speaking of homeschooling and education and stuff like that what is like your thoughts or ideology behind homeschooling and why why did you decide to homeschool well, I was homeschooled for a few years myself when I was that age. From about second grade through seventh grade, I was taught at home. And so I already was familiar with the culture. And I knew that I didn't want to just send my kids away to somebody else to do the bulk of their education. I knew that, you know, for the first two or three years of their lives, my kids depended on me to teach them to talk, teach them to walk you know, teach them to not throw themselves to the floor whenever something doesn't go their way. And so I didn't want that to just suddenly stop when they were, you know, five or six and ready to go into kindergarten. So I actually started with my oldest, just like, well, we'll see 
where this goes. Like I didn't commit to all 12 years of her education when we first started. I was like, she's not old enough technically to go into kindergarten yet. She was only four, but she was ready to start learning how to read. And I wasn't just going to not teach her to read because she wasn't the right age, quote unquote. So um, that's where it started. We just kind of went with what she was ready for academically. And then we just didn't stop. There was never a point where I felt like now is a good time to just cut her off and send her away and let somebody else do this. Because I really always loved the aha moments that you get when you're teaching. There are sometimes few and far between. There are a lot of days where you feel like you're beating your head against a wall. And, you know, there are tears from mom and children both. But I always thought, okay, the alternative is to give somebody else all of those frustrations or to force somebody else to cry those tears or, you know, make somebody else um, solve the problems when they crop up and come up with the best strategies for solutions. And I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to earn those light bulb moments when I got to see them make connections. I wanted to see those personally. I didn't just want to hear about them from another person. I also wanted to be responsible for whatever messes or, you know, uh, obstacles cropped up too. Like I didn't want to just outsource here, fix this for me, you know, to another teacher. Now that said, I have been, I actually have an appointment with the local classical school to tour the, tour their facilities in January. So I'm not opposed to, you know, working with a, a Christian community, especially my oldest. She's been with me now for seven years. She's in sixth grade, but we did second grade twice. So so we've been, you know, a team for a long time. And I think that she's probably ready to start learning with a group of her peers. So I'm not against classical education and Christian education, but I am a firm, staunch believer that all education for Christian children should be firmly rooted in the gospel and that there is no such thing as a neutral education. So, yeah, like, <laughs> like you were saying earlier, there's so much with education that's like, it's hard to separate it from parenting. And I feel like teachers sort of realize that some more than others. And yeah. Well, I, most teachers do acknowledge it. I mean, I, I worked in education even before I had my own children. And most teachers will agree. If you've got a student who comes from a really, really rough background or, you know, they've got a family that's just in shambles and they're struggling hardcore at home. Most teachers acknowledge there's just not a lot we can do for them. I mean, we'll try, but it's really hard to overcome something like that, you know, a lot of trauma or a lot of just a lot of challenges at home. They say and have been saying for decades that it starts at home and that we need the parents buy in. We need the parents to work with us because parents are the primary influences over their kids. So they will say those things usually. But yeah, sometimes there's sort of a disconnect when something happens that is unfavorable or not working well at school. Then sometimes the blame starts shifting again, where it's like, well, who do we blame for this? Is it the parents or is it the teachers? Or or conversely, if something's going pretty well, if the kid is successful, then it's like, well, who do we get to thank for this? Is it the parents or is it the teachers? So it's difficult for some people to really sort it out. But I've landed pretty firmly on God gave parents their children to be their primary teachers, to be their primary influencers. And again, that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, get help from your community and my sisters and I have homeschool co-ops and you know things that we teach together so it's not like I'm the only person who has ever given any information to my children <laughs> and, and if somebody else tries to teach them something then I'm going to jump in and stop it but yes it is 
when you try to separate parenting and education, or you try to get specific about where one begins and the other ends, sometimes it can be kind of tricky. Yeah. And like what you touched on, I feel like is a big misconception of when people think about homeschooling. It's like, oh, because you don't want like you have to, it's a controlling thing. Like you have to be the one to teach the kids and like no one else can teach them anything. And that's like the biggest lie of homeschooling, especially homeschooling co-ops where you have like parents and other like adults that are just know more about different stuff. It's it's like, do you really think we're that stupid when you think of homeschooling? <laughs> like, no, we want other people to teach our kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and there is some, there are some like practical, just I guess, logistical things that make sense for us. Um, since we have small businesses that we're trying to manage, it's better for me to be able to control our schedule. But yeah, I don't know how much is for me, you know, logical slash practical and how much is philosophical because yeah, I could talk about education for a long time and like the misconceptions about homeschooling and a lot of people, especially if they have a background in education in the public school, they'll, they'll decide they're going to homeschool, but they really just kind of model everything that they did in the government school buildings and just do that at home. And so they end up trying to, you know, do eight hours worth of scheduled curriculum every day. We don't do that. I mean, it takes us maybe three hours on a really good day, probably more like four hours on average. And that's their whole school day. And so people who are just starting out maybe don't realize that that's the case. They think that they have to budget, you know, a pocket of time that's going to be like a third of the day or more. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. You can get a whole lot more done, a lot more quality learning done in a shorter amount of time with homeschooling. Sometimes for me, it's more of a like, I don't know, sometimes it's like a a, probably a point of pride, like I was saying before, like I want to be the one that gets to take credit for this. But I also know that if my kids were struggling in the school system, and I do have at least one student who I'm positive would be very much a challenge for a woman or a man who's trying to have 30 other kids in their class you know, trying to keep track of him too. And so if I was going to be spending all this time in, you know, the principal's office or meeting with teachers and other experts trying to figure out how to help this child, I might as well just keep him home with me and and, and he and me and uh, my husband can all be the, the team of experts who are going to, you know, figure out what's best. So yeah, there's a lot of pros and I'm very pro homeschooling. But like I mentioned before, for me, I think the best thing to do, well, I, I believe that the best thing for every Christian parent is to have a Christ-focused education for their kids. And I think it's essential to emphasize this because a lot of parents for many, many years have believed that there is such thing as a neutral education. It's a possibility to send them to any school anywhere and then just kind of add in Bible reading or worship songs or something that's Christian, more Christian on top of that. And what I'm saying is no, absolutely everything that they're being taught, if it's not actively glorifying Christ, if they're not learning how to see the truth of God in every subject, then it's not, they're actually actively being taught anti-Christian things without maybe even realizing that that's what's going on. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's big. Do you mind speaking into that a little bit more? Yeah. So I think for a long time, people have been suspicious that like the thing you need to be careful of is biology class like <laughs> or the sciences. Mm -hmm. You should be careful because they might teach the Christian kids that evolution created everything as opposed to God. But if you just, you know, 
remember to teach them the truth at home. No, no, God created everything, not just evolution. Then they can let their guard down when they get to, you know, music class or art class or history. That's a big one. But actually, a lot of the philosophies, and I'll even say, I'll even call it false religions, even though most of the people who are teaching and then learning this stuff don't consider it a religion. But most of the false philosophies or false religions have come through social studies in our schools, not through science, although they, they're there too in science class. But a lot of it has come through the perspective on history and the, the world. So if you don't know why things happen, you don't know why some things are right and some things are wrong. You don't know why some things are considered good and some things are considered bad. And you're never going to know, how do I interpret these stories that I've heard from human history? Like, who were the bad guys? Who were the good guys? Or is there such thing as a good guy or a bad guy? And why do we even study this stuff in the first place? Like, all of, all of that is very, very important. And it's not something you can just hit once and then, and then send the kid off to hopefully discern the truth amidst the whole, you know, mixture of lies and truth. It's something that needs to be hammered in repetitiously. Education is about helping children love what God loves and also hate what God hates. And there are people who probably are like offended by even the suggestion that God hates anything. It's like, well, that comes from your education. The fact that you think that God doesn't hate anything is significant. And that shows some of the, some of the things that you may have internalized that you didn't even realize. Where did that come from? You know, and, and what, how do we decide if God hates things and which things he might hate? Well, you decide those things through conversations with scripture, through conversations with very wise teachers and, you know, experts in theology, and also through, through, again, people might not even realize this is true, but through art and music and all of the other subjects. Originally, when, when education was first made compulsory for children, it was Christians who were specifically Protestants, who were like, we need kids to know these things because if they're going to grow up and be good kingdom builders for God, if they're going to worship God effectively, they ha there's certain things they're going to have to know. And so that was the whole point of education originally. And so at some point it was torn apart and, and Americans at least were convinced that there was such thing as this body of knowledge that every human, regardless of what they believe, could all agree on, you know, this like cloud of information, like that all the Muslims and the Hindus and the Jews and the Christians and the atheists, everybody in between could all lay claim to simultaneously. And it's like, no, no, actually, there is no truth apart from God. Like there is no, there is no knowledge that does not reflect his character. And you try to make any form of education quote, neutral, all you've done is basically give up things that belong to God to other people who don't have a right to lay claim to that. So I don't know if that clarified things or if that just muddied it even further. Because again, I know there are people who would be like, okay, you're, you're absolutely speaking French right now. Or you're like, you're speaking a completely different language. But I would say to that point, again, that might also reflect some of the differences between what you've come to believe based on your education and what I've come to believe based on my understanding of what education is for. Yeah, definitely. The older I get, the more I am like surprised and just like realize how much worldview and philosophy come into play in like every area of life and how much it's just, I don't know, not, it doesn't feel like it's talked about as much yeah. at all. <laughs> or like ingrained into like kids or just even discussed. Right. 
Well, because you're told that having a wide range of perspectives is a really good thing and you should be able to hear from different people, you know, their different beliefs and that, that I'm not necessarily even saying that that's wrong. What I am saying is, should we be allowed to question whether that is true? And, and people don't go back far enough. They don't, you know, they don't question their own assumptions enough. So if you're going to say, hey, it's right for us to be tolerant of each other, or it's right for us to have different, you know, different perspectives. Everybody has different experiences. Everybody has different truths, they might say. Then, you know, somebody like me might come along and go, okay, I hear you saying that, but are you sure? And how do you know that that's true? And, you know, and if, if the response to my questions is then, how dare you? That's bigoted. You're not allowed to say that. It's like, oh, ooh, I guess that we're not actually as open-minded and, you know, open to all of these worldviews as we thought. So it's one thing to talk about worldviews. It's another thing to have a worldview that allows you to examine all of the different worldviews objectively. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it can get kind of twisted pretty quick where you're like down in a rabbit hole somewhere and, uh, and your head's swimming. But I've always yeah. been really interested in, in philosophy and theology for those reasons, because like, oh yeah, we're going to question some things. Good. Let's, let's question our questions too. Like, <laughs> let's go all the way. Yeah. And honestly, as you're talking about it, you sound like so excited about like the, the questioning and discerning part. But I think for a lot of people, especially this like day and age of, yeah, everyone's truth. It's fine. Like listen to other people's like point of view. That is the cause of a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. I think I experienced that personally, that questioning, mm -hmm. but you know, living in a day and age where you don't need an answer or like all you do is the questioning and then you're just like left with those. Yeah. That's a, where a lot of anxiety today, it's so prevalent. I think it stems from like that questioning and then no resolved answers. Right. Okay. We'll just sit and swim in those like questions and everything's true at the same time, but it's not. Right. Right. There was a spoken word poem a few years ago that went viral or at least mildly viral. I'm going to see if I can find it really quick because I want to give credit to the guy. It's about asking questions, but it's actually really funny. Okay, so Taylor Molly is uh, the name of the poet, and he does this, this spoken word presentation where he he starts out like, everybody is so afraid to ask or to answer questions. So everybody just ends their sentences with an invisible question mark, like, you know? And everybody in the audience laughs because he's he's delivering it the same way that people talk. And he he finishes the poem by saying, speak with conviction. It's better to say things, this is me paraphrasing now, but it's better to say things with some measure of confidence and then potentially be wrong, but wrestle with that with another person who's speaking confidently than to live in this ethereal, you know, uncertain mishmash of question marks he actually said, it's like we're inviting each other to join us on the bandwagon of our own uncertainty. That's a line from the poem. It's like we're inviting everyone to join us on the bandwagon of our own uncertainty. And yeah, that does contribute to anxiety. But of course, there is a certain anxiety that comes from going and doing something other people are not doing, too. And so if you're not prepared for that, if you think life is about living in this you know, completely fearless state all the time and never having to confront anything hard or never doing anything that causes you to sweat and curl your toes a little bit and, you know, have your heart pound a little bit, 
then you're going to be anxious about the fact that you're anxious. You're going to go, oh, I must be doing something wrong because I'm worried about that. You know, I'm, I'm afraid right now. Um, but one quote that I, I read a few years ago that really kind of encouraged and inspired me, it had to do with, um, years and years ago, you know, back in the, uh, back in the 1500s when they were first, when sailors were first starting to like journey farther and farther from home out on the water. They literally thought there was a good chance they were going to fall off the planet. They did not know that the earth was round. They had a, a theory that it might be, but nobody had actually proven it. And so it was literally they're sailing on faith that whatever mathematician had told them it would probably be okay was actually correct. But on the flip side, they had all these stories about sea monsters and, you know, horrible storms and shipwrecks and people didn't come home regularly. Sailors didn't come home. So that was reality. So they had a right to be a little bit anxious when they would set out, you know, when Columbus and his crew set out or when Magellan set out, they had the right to be a little bit anxious because they were doing something that was legitimately scary. And I think, I think philosophically, there's some truth for that too. With today's youth, they may not be afraid to actually literally get in a boat and sail, but there is a little bit of an unknown. There's sort of this, this, sense of vertigo, like you might just think too far or question too much and you might break something upstairs, you know, you might you might cause something to snap that wasn't meant to snap. Um, but what faith in God does, faith in God for us today, for philosophers today, and for young people who are trying to think through really, really challenging issues today, gives us the same courage, or it should give us the same courage that the Christian sailors of you know, 500 years ago had. And that is the trust that I didn't make this world. I didn't put the seas here. I didn't put the mountains here. I didn't make my body. I didn't create my own brain. And so I'm going to trust that the fact that I've been given the ability to ask questions and to think falls in the category of happening for a reason. And so even though it feels like I might just sail off the earth here, I can put my faith in God that he's, he's got it handled, and so it's okay. You just listened to the first part of this conversation. We hope that you enjoyed it, but be sure to go to the Talk with the Wise podcast to listen to part two. Thanks for listening. We hope you found this conversation edifying and helpful. If you did, please share this episode with anyone you feel could benefit from it. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks again for listening to the Talk with the Wise podcast.